Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephania Cox. Here are today's top stories. Russian and Ukrainian delegates are going to meet for a second round of talks on Thursday. And Russia releases casualty figures for the first time since the war started, but they contradict Western estimates. U.S. lawmakers are pushing for a fresh wave of penalties against Russia. What comes next and what are they warning? Could the United States be financing Russia's invasion of Ukraine? One economic expert says yes. We'll hear what he has to say. Chelsea Soccer Club is up for sale. The UK is calling for sanctions against its current owner, a Russian businessman. President Biden's Supreme Court nominee met with key senators today. It marks her first step toward confirmation to the nation's highest court. How much support does she have? And how soon could she be sworn in? Russia and Ukraine agreed to meet for a second round of talks tomorrow. They plan to meet in Belarus near the border with Poland. And Russian forces continue to bombard Ukraine's second largest city. Here's the latest. Ukrainian delegates are on their way to Belarus for a second round of talks with Russia on Thursday. They will meet in a region bordering Poland. Russian delegates already arrived on Wednesday. Today, in the second half of the day, closer to evening, our delegation will be in place to evade Ukrainian negotiators. The first round of talks didn't yield any immediate agreements. Ukraine's foreign minister says that they won't accept any Russian ultimatums and that Russia's demands remain the same. The war now enters its seventh day, and Russian forces continue to advance on major Ukrainian cities. The enemy is pulling its troops closer to the capital. Bilatserkva was shelled last night. Fighting continued in Bucha and Kostomel. We are getting ready, and we will defend our city. A senior Pentagon official said in a conference call on Wednesday that there haven't been significant changes on the ground in the past two days. Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv, suffered heavy damage from Russian shelling on Wednesday. Russia's attacks hit several administrative buildings, including the regional police and intelligence headquarters. At least 21 people were killed in 24 hours. The enemy is shelling the city without selecting targets. Multiple rocket launchers and aviation are operating because, as I understand, there is an order to break people psychologically and to seed psychological terror. Russia on Wednesday released its casualty figures for the first time since the war started. They also said more than 2,800 Ukrainian troops have been killed. This contradicts Ukraine's claims that almost 6,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. Unfortunately, we have losses among our comrades taking part in the special military operation. 498 Russian military deceased in the line of duty. Russia says it has captured Kherson, a port city in the south and provincial capital. Ukraine denies this and the Pentagon official confirms that the city's status is contested at the moment. On Wednesday, the United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution condemning Russia for the invasion and demanded that it stop the war. Out of 193 members voted in favor. Five countries, including Russia and Belarus, voted against. And 35 countries, including China, abstained from the vote. Russia is bombarding Ukraine, but its invading forces are being met by a strong UK Ukrainian resistance. Some military experts say they're surprised that Russia hasn't been able to achieve its goals. NTD's Miguel Moreno reports. 
Reporters have tracked a Russian military convoy said to be dozens of miles long headed to Kyiv. But in a Wednesday update, the Pentagon confirmed that the immense line of Russian forces has met with trouble. That convoy, but more broadly speaking, uh, the, the northern push by the Russians down towards the south, towards Kyiv, uh, remains stalled. Kirby says the invading line hasn't made visible progress in the last 24 to 36 hours, based on Pentagon estimates. The convoy might be bogged down for several reasons. Kirby pointed to three possibilities. One, Russian forces are regrouping, thinking about how to make up for lost time. Two, they're dealing with unexpected logistics and sustainment challenges. And three, Ukrainian forces are slowing the convoy. Nothing solid, but the Pentagon says it has some indications that Ukrainians are slowing down that immense Russian line. I've never seen uh, more courageous people uh, on the face of this earth fighting for their country, fighting for freedom and fighting for liberty. Retired Navy Lieutenant Stephen Rogers says some military experts are surprised by what's transpired. I've got to tell you, a lot of uh, former uh, intelligence officers that I have spoken with and military professionals are rather uh, surprised that the Russian military has not been able to uh, really achieve their goals. Look, they've got uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, troops uh, in, in Ukraine now. Uh, they're using every piece of equipment they have to topple that government, and they haven't been able to do that. So what I see was a perceived strong military in Russia, but it's truly a weak military. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any uh, strategy that's working. Their tactics aren't working. And on the other side of it, now you have the Ukrainian uh, military. Uh, uh, small in numbers, didn't have that much equipment, and yet they seem to be doing a good job. But Russia's assault in southern Ukraine is facing less resistance. That's according to Kirby. As we look at this, we have to, we have to be pragmatic. The Ukrainians are fighting bravely and creatively. The Russians have a significant amount of combat power applied in Ukraine, and they still have some significant combat power that they have not engaged uh, in the fight. Uh, and, uh, and we just, we need to be mindful of that. Death counts are being cited by the press, but the Pentagon says it has zero confidence in any of those numbers. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. U.S. senators are vowing to further punishment for Russia. Among them, a war crimes probe. NTD's Iris Tao has the details. What Putin is doing is a war crime. Senator Lindsey Graham is calling for Putin to be investigated by the International Criminal Court for war crimes. And if we give him a pass on the war crimes that are being committed in front of us all every night on television, I can only imagine what China will think. When it comes to dictators, you need to make it personal to them. Joining him Wednesday to introduce the resolution is the only Ukrainian-American in Congress. She's calling for the international community to step it up. You have to some leadership and backbone and step up. And I think we as a country need to see who are our friends, who are not. And they're not the only ones on the move. Another group of Senate Republicans on Wednesday called for secondary sanctions on Russian banks. It is time we drop the hammer and completely shut down the economy in Russia. Energy is another focus. They're calling for the U.S. to stop purchasing Russian oil and gas. We are much better and stronger as a nation if we are selling energy to our friends than if we're having to buy it from our enemies. And another reason for a strong stance against Russia, the senators say, is to deter Beijing. If he gets away with it in Ukraine, 
I promise you China will take Taiwan. And here's Senator John Kennedy cautioning that it might not be a coincidence that Russia invaded Ukraine just as the U.S. started to pivot to the Indo-Pacific. If you think that uh, Russia and China are not aligned, you'll never own your own home. The lawmakers are also working on a package that will send billions in aid for Ukraine. They'll be voting on it next week. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. The conflict in Ukraine is pushing oil prices higher. Today, a barrel of crude topped $110, soaring 8% in just one day. Russia is one of the world's largest oil exporters, but Western countries haven't put any direct sanctions on oil exports because they rely heavily on Russian oil. So what tools does the U.S. have to counter Putin? American thought leader's host Jan Jakalik sat down with Larry Kudlow, a top economic advisor for former President Trump. NTD's Chenny Wu brings us the highlights. Could the U.S. be aiding Russian leader Vladimir Putin in his invasion of Ukraine? Larry Kudlow, former director of the U.S. National Economic Council, says yes. We are financing this by our stupid energy policies, which have raised the price of oil uh, unnecessarily. Kudlow explains that Putin continues to profit from skyrocketing oil prices, providing the Kremlin with the financial means to invade countries such as Ukraine. When oil prices are low, you don't hear from Putin. When oil prices are high, that's how they make their money. That's all they have. Russia has been hit with a string of sanctions from the West following its invasion of Ukraine. But the U.S. has stopped short of directly sanctioning Russia's energy sector, a step that would severely hurt Russia's ability to generate revenue. Biden has defended his decision to preserve access to Russian energy in order to limit the pain the American people are feeling at the gas pump, but said Wednesday that banning Russian oil imports is not off the table. So go back in time. In 2008, oil got to $150 a barrel. What happened? Putin took Georgia. Then oil prices fell back, and then the fracking revolution started, and we didn't hear from Putin for years. But then, in 2014, for a variety of reasons, oil prices jumped back to 100 bucks a barrel. Well, Putin takes Crimea. He has the money from his oil profits to do that. You know, then Trump comes in and we have energy independence and we're, you know, full throttle with the drillers and the frackers. You don't hear from Putin. In the last year, as Biden comes in and he runs this jihad against uh, fossil fuels, so we're at $100 a barrel and rising. So Putin's got the money to go into Ukraine. But is there a solution? The ultimate weapon here is to sanction the central bank because that'll stop, pay that'll stop payments. We're afraid to do that because of the oil factor. In order to put sanctions on the Russian central bank and restrict the country financially, Kudlow says the U.S. needs to bring its own energy production to full throttle and be less reliant upon other countries. There is no world without fossil fuels. But Biden bought into this far-left agenda. It was a gift to Putin. Data from the U.S. Energy Information Administration shows that the United States increased its oil imports from Russia by about 28 percent in the first 11 months of 2021. Chenny Wu, NTD News. To watch the full interview with Larry Kudlow, you can go to epictv.com ATL. And Russian businessman Robin, Roman Abramovich is planning to sell Chelsea Football Club, an English professional soccer team. 
It comes amid growing calls for the UK to sanction him after the Russian invasion. Abramovich is a metals magnate. Abramovich promises to donate money from the sale to help victims of the war in Ukraine. The funds will address victims' immediate needs and support the long-term work of recovery. He says the decision to sell the club is in the best interests of the club, the fans, the employees and the club's sponsors and partners. Abramovich also says he will not ask for repayment of the loans he's made to the club. They total roughly $2 billion. Abramovich is one of Russia's most powerful businessmen, with a net worth of $13 billion. A Swiss business tycoon says he's considering buying the club. And Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has emerged as a fierce war leader. He was elected less than three years ago. Before the election, he was a comedian with no political experience, making this transformation even more remarkable. NTD's Joy Duguid takes a look at the rise of Ukraine's wartime president. The morning after Russian missiles rained down on Kiev, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky addressed the nation in his favorite style, the selfie video. He told Ukrainians that he was staying put in the capital. The video received three million views on Instagram in one hour. Lately there has been a lot of fake information online that I call on our army to lay down arms and to evacuate. Listen, I'm here. We will not lay down the weapons. We will defend our state, because our weapon is our truth. Zelensky's decision to remain in Kiev and his family's decision to stay in Ukraine has moved many and inspired Ukrainians to fight for their country. Today Russia started an invasion of Ukraine. Putin started a war against Ukraine, against the whole democratic world. Zelensky has rallied the nation and given voice to Ukrainian defiance of Russian invasion. It has been an unlikely transformation for him. Zelensky is from a Russian-speaking Jewish family and graduated with a law degree, but he didn't become a lawyer. He co-found a successful TV production company and produced dozens of shows for Ukraine and Russia. The turning point came in 2015 when starring in sitcom Servant of the People made him a true public figure. He played a schoolteacher turned president after his student posted a video of him ranting about corruption in politics. In real life, Zelensky named his party the Servant of the People Party in the 2019 presidential election. His candidacy was initially seen as a joke by some, but he ended up with 73% of the vote. At the beginning of the crisis, some Ukrainians feared he was out of his depth against veteran Russian President Vladimir Putin. But his defiance and calm presence in social media videos have won plaudits, even from self-described skeptics. Good evening to everyone. The leader of the faction is here. The head of the presidential office is here. Prime Minister Schmeigel is here. Podolyak is here. The president is here. Zelensky has been a prolific social media user throughout his time in politics. Now, he and his team are posting videos trying to give reassurance. His style stands in contrast to that of Putin. The Russian leader has often kept even close officials on the other side of a long table in meetings during the global health crisis. 
Zelensky has used direct and from-the-heart messages to press the global community to do more for Ukraine. Do prove that you are with us. Do prove that you will not let us go. Do prove that you indeed are Europeans, and then life will win over death, and light will win over darkness. Glory be to Ukraine. His speech received a standing ovation from the European Parliament. Joy Dugid, NTD News. Americans are paying higher and higher prices for basic goods. And with a lot of topics covered on this, in the State of the Union address, President Biden made sure to mention inflation. NTD's Arlene Richards brings us the details of Biden's proposed solutions. President Joe Biden called on Congress to deal with the increasing costs for Americans in his first State of the Union speech Tuesday. The president said getting prices under control is his top priority. Tonight, I'm announcing a crackdown on those companies overcharging American businesses and consumers. He demanded that companies lower their costs, not their wages, to help combat inflation. Biden called on Congress to pass parts of his Build Back Better agenda, which didn't get bipartisan support, and pushed for lower car costs. Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson says his constituents have a lot of concerns about rising costs. People feel this acutely. In my home state of Louisiana, the cost of everything has skyrocketed. This, this affects real families. They're deeply concerned about their safety and security of their families, their children, because of all of the chaos overseas and even here in our cities with spiking crime rates. Biden plans to tackle Johnson's concerns, especially high costs. But Professor Nicholas Giordano says his plan is too good to be true. Let's just give Americans everything and everything's going to be okay. And that's not the way it really works. He says inflation is so high because of the trillions of dollars of money that's been printed over the last two years and says that Americans are feeling inflation in every product they buy. And for every penny that gas prices increase, that's a billion dollars that's taken out of the economy that could have went to other things like going out to dinner, like taking the family to a movie or going on vacation. The American people are strapped right now and they're living paycheck to paycheck one thing Biden is emphasizing is semiconductor production in America. And Giordano agrees this would be a good thing, but says it takes time to get facilities up and running. Also, part of the problem is... When we look at the supply chains, is the fact that the government was the one that deemed what was essential and what wasn't essential during the pandemic. And something that seemed non-essential yesterday, turns out it's very essential today. And that's part of our problem. We're paying, playing catch-up. Giordano says he doesn't believe Biden's plans will lower any costs because we need smart policies that tackle the country's debt problem and we should stop spending more money than we take in every year. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. President Biden's Supreme Court nominee met with top senators today. Senate leader Chuck Schumer wants to fast-track her nomination. He's hoping that some Republicans will vote to confirm her as the next liberal-leaning justice to replace Justice Breyer. NTD's Melina Weiskup has more details. Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson on Capitol Hill today met with senators. First, Senate leader Chuck Schumer, who's pushing for a swift confirmation. Seeing, uh, seeing her in person is a great, great thing. I'm 
Jackson later met with top Republican leader Mitch McConnell, then top senators on the Judiciary Committee, Chairman Dick Durbin and ranking member Charles Grassley. The hearing to confirm her will start at the end of the month, and she could be confirmed soon after that. Schumer's aiming for confirmation before April 8th. If confirmed, Jackson would be the first black woman seated to the Supreme Court. Biden made the promise to nominate a black woman to the nation's highest court because he says it's long overdue. But some are wary of this approach, making a purposeful decision based on demographics. Uh, their external characteristics, and that's moving in the wrong direction. And we really have to stop that and start asking ourselves, what makes a person who they are? Is it their skin, is it their hair, or is it their brain? Jackson is now serving as a judge on D.C.'s U.S. Court of Appeals, a position she was confirmed to just last year. And for that confirmation, she did have some Republican support. Now Schumer is hoping to have GOP support this time around. But some of the most conservative judges have said amazing things about her. So I think she deserves support from the other side of the aisle. No Republican has publicly announced their support for Jackson, but Senator Susan Collins from Maine says her vote's undecided, and she praises Judge Jackson's qualifications, while another senator vows to have an open mind. She deserves a very careful look, a very deep dive, and I'll provide fresh eyes to that evaluation uh, and hope that I'll be able to support her in the final analysis. And only 50 votes are needed to confirm Judge Jackson. So if all 50 Democrats are on board with this, which it's looking like they are, Schumer will be able to move this confirmation through quickly, and we could see Jackson confirmed in the next couple of weeks. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Texas opens the U.S. primary election season with wins for Republican Governor Greg Abbott and Democrat challenger Beto O'Rourke. They will face off for Texas governor in the general election. Abbott and O'Rourke easily won their respective parties' nominations. Abbott is now in a commanding position as he seeks a third term. He begins his campaign run with more than $50 million, and he's campaigning on an agenda that appeals to America's largest Republican state. After the primary win, Abbott told supporters that Republicans sent a message. His campaign says they want to keep Texas on a path of opportunity like Governor Abbott has provided over the past eight years. Abbott also spoke about education and Republican support for law enforcement. O'Rourke criticized Abbott on several points at a primary watch party. He spoke about Abbott's handling of last winter's power outages, rising energy costs, the quality of education in the state, and gun violence. And coming up, the People's Convoy is now in Indiana, where it's expected to converge with more convoys from across the country. Their final destination, Washington, D.C., is just two stops away. We hear from supporters on the ground. And the NBA's biggest individual award. Who is the front runner from most valuable player? Will we have a repeat winner? That and more coming up on NTD News. The People's Convoy is now in Indiana, and it will be stopping in just two more cities before arriving in Washington, D.C. NTD's Jason Perry is on the road following the convoy as it makes its way to the nation's capital. Tonight, he brings us personal stories from convoy supporters. 
the organizer of the People's Convoy, reminded everyone how close they are to the Capitol. We got a lot coming up after this stop. A lot. Ohio and then Hagerstown. Anybody knows about Hagerstown? That's 40 miles from the Beltway. He's referring to the 64-mile Capitol Beltway that surrounds Washington, D.C., which appears to be the final destination for the multiple convoys traveling across America. There was an open mic-style event where guests shared their personal experiences and reasons they support the convoy. Many of them prayed for those going to D.C. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And may you watch over them and bless them with safety and security through the rest of this ride. Amen. Amen. intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. James Williams is autistic, and he says he was injured by a vaccine as a child. I came here on a bus. We also spoke to some truck drivers to see why they decided to ride to D.C. And I seen all those trucks roll past, and I saw all those people in, in Springfield, and I'm like, wow, like a, a fourth of the town is out here. I said, I've, I've got to be a part of this. That was, that was... Just God telling me that this is what I got to do. I got good friends of mine that are nurses that have lost their job. I seen a news article on TV a few months back where there was a boy in line for a heart transplant. He was denied because he wasn't, his parents didn't vaccinate him. I mean, and I started thinking, this isn't the America I grew up in. And I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for my grandkids. And I, I don't want it for any American because this is America and we're supposed to have free choice here. This is land of the free, home of the brave. Yeah, this isn't a right thing or a left thing. We encourage all to come. We're, we're trying to unite as one. This is, it doesn't matter what color you are, what ethnicity you are. This is, this is a we the people movement and all are welcome. I don't care. I'm here in Monrovia, Indiana, right outside of Indianapolis. The state of Indiana is called the Crossroads of America because so many highways intersect here. Now that the guests have finished speaking, people are still hanging out. They were barbecuing over here earlier, and some people have been eating some of the food donations over here. Lots and lots of trucks are here. I know that the People's Convoy is here, and other convoys are expected to also meet here before continuing their trip to D.C. Jason Perry, NCD News, Indiana. The NBA's Most Valuable Player Award will be announced during the playoffs, which start next month. But at this point, there are several clear frontrunners for the league's biggest individual award. NTD's Dave Martin breaks it down. The MVP isn't just handed to the best player in the league. If that were the case, LeBron James would have more than four. Team wins and games played are a major part of the inexact formula, though individual stats are still the major driver. Last year, Denver's Nikola Jokic won MVP, and it's fair to say he's the frontrunner this year. The 6'11 center is 12th in scoring, 2nd in rebounding, and 6th in assists, as the entire Denver team revolves around his performance. His only negative is that the injury-riddled Nuggets sit just 6th in the Western Conference. Phillies' Joel Embiid finished runner-up last year in his best showing yet. His chances of winning it this year went up when the Sixers acquired James Harden from Brooklyn. Now with a star to pair him with, Philly has a great chance to catch Miami for the top spot in the East, which would greatly boost his chances. Individually, Embiid leads the league in scoring and is eighth in rebounding, but has already missed 12 games. 
Milwaukee's Giannis Adetokounmpo already has won two MVP awards and at age 27 could be in line for another. He's right behind Embiid for second place in scoring while ranking seventh in rebounding, though his defending champion Bucks are a disappointing fourth in the East. Five-time All-Star DeMar DeRozan would be the most surprising MVP should he take home the hardware, having only garnered MVP votes twice before while never being named the All-NBA first team. But the 32-year-old currently ranks fourth in scoring and with some incredible clutch shooting has the surprising Chicago Bulls in line for their first playoff spot in five years. Finally, we have Chris Paul. The 36-year-old has had several tough luck postseason injuries, but his recent thumb fracture might be his most untimely regular season injury ever. The Suns made a miraculous turnaround last year when Paul joined the team, snapping a 10-year playoff drought by garnering the second-best record in the West. This year, he had the Suns on top of the NBA when he went down, and the hope is he's back by playoff time. Individually, he leads the league in assists while averaging 15 points a game. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. Coming up, California's northern county of Shasta has sworn in a new supervisor after a recall. Locals say they want an elected official who will better represent them. The first private astronaut mission will take off at the end of the month. The public gets a preview of the planned trip with the private company that partnered with NASA. That and more on NTD News. Recalls have been held up and down the Golden State. Most recently, Shasta County in Northern California recalled a county supervisor. Locals say he did not represent them or their interests. A new supervisor was sworn in on Tuesday. Greeted with cheers and applause, Tim Garman was sworn in on March 1st after county supervisors unanimously certify the results of the recent recall. Over the last two years, supervisor votes of 3-2 in favor of state policies and against local citizenry continually denied our local interests. This recall was one step of many toward restoring local government to its proper role. For four months, a recall petition organized by the group Recall Shasta County gathered signatures to recall then District 2 Supervisor Leonard Moti. Locals expressed that Moti did not represent their interests at county board meetings when it came to pandemic-related policies. The Shasta County clerk certified election results on February 17th. 56% of votes were in favor of recalling Moti. 38% of voters chose Garmin to replace him. In an interview with CNN, Moti says he is disheartened by the recall efforts. It's very disheartening to me to have a group be able to spend that much money to personally assault my reputation. I worked for 44 years to build in my hometown. Recall Shasta County also attempted to remove two other supervisors, Joe Cimenti and Mary Rickert, but the recall effort did not submit petition signatures for Cimenti and Rickert. A private space company is letting the public in on their plans for the first private astronaut mission. NASA signed an agreement with the company last year. Here's more. During a virtual press conference, Axiom Space hosted a preview for launching Axiom Mission 1, or AX-1, the first all-private astronaut mission to the International Space Station, or ISS. Michael Lopez Alegria, the vice president of business development for Axiom Space from Orange County, Los Angeles, will be commanding the mission. 
this has really been a dream come true for me. And it's been amazing to see both the crew and the company mature and gel as we get ready for this uh, very important step into the future. He joins three other multinational crew members on a 10-day mission to complete more than 25 health and science research experiments for microgravity. Aside from the commander, they all paid approximately $55 million for the trip to space. We are not space tourists. I think there's an important role for space tourism, but it is not what Axiom is about. Uh, the crewmates, my crewmates have worked very hard. I've been super impressed with their diligence and their commitment. And uh, they, you know, they're busy people and they've taken a lot of time out of their lives to focus on this. And, and it's, um, it's definitely not a vacation for them. The crew will focus on life science and technology research like stem cells, cardiac health, and spacecraft self-assembly that would become a pathfinder for opportunities in low Earth orbit and open a space technology ecosystem. The crew will also bring back life science samples for NASA that have been in orbit and a nitrogen tank for refurbishing. They will be operating very independently from NASA, but once it gets close to the ISS, then NASA has responsibility for the safety of the uh, spacecraft, the ISS, as well as the crew members um, when they come. Last May, NASA partnered with Axiom Space with the mission to take place no earlier than January 2022. Axiom Space is a privately funded space infrastructure developer headquartered in Houston, Texas. The launch is scheduled for March 30th at 2.46 p.m. from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Coming up, as the war in Ukraine continues, one question carries implications for the future world order. What's China's role? Was Xi Jinping also played by Putin or did he know all along? From banning Russian athletes to cancelling events in Russia, international sporting bodies respond to the invasion of Ukraine. That and more here on NTD News. As Russia's invasion of Ukraine shakes up the post-World War II world order, some questions now pose huge implications. What is China's role in the crisis? And is the regime really as innocent as it claims to be? Since the end of the Cold War, the Chinese regime has been trying to portray itself as a responsible player for global peace. Since the war against Ukraine broke out, China has appeared as surprised as everybody else. Chinese diplomats have called on all sides to exercise restraint and even offered to help negotiate a ceasefire between Ukraine and Russia due to concerns for civilian casualties. But is the Chinese regime really an innocent third party as it wants the world to believe? And I think the Chinese have been complicit. I, I think they have supported a war criminal in a naked war of aggression against uh, an innocent state. Ian Easton, senior director of the Project 2049 Institute, shared a similar message on Twitter. He wrote, the Chinese Communist Party is a collaborator, an enabler and complicit in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. At first glance, this may seem like an overstatement. But reports from Russia and China suggest he may have a point. The New York Times reported on Wednesday that Chinese officials told their Russian counterparts not to invade Ukraine until after the Beijing Winter Olympics. That's according to an intelligence report cited by the New York Times. And last Friday, the newspaper quoted U.S. officials as saying they shared intelligence about Russia's military actions around Ukraine over the three months before the full-on invasion. 
Washington reportedly asked the Chinese regime to help persuade Russia not to invade. China then brushed off the concerns, but then turned around and told the Russians what U.S. officials had said. Now, as the Russians continue to shell Ukraine facilities, causing civilian deaths, the Chinese regime has announced it will not join other nations in sanctioning Russia. Instead, it will maintain normal trade and financial relations with Russia. That's as China's foreign ministry spokesperson repeatedly blasted the U.S. and its allies for what he called illegal unilateral sanctions against Russia. He also accused the U.S. of being a culprit in the crisis and of heightening tensions, creating panic and even hyping up the possibility of warfare. The Chinese regime may have also been helping soften the blow of Western sanctions on Russia. The day the full-scale invasion against Ukraine started, the Chinese regime officially confirmed it would open up to Russian wheat imports. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison denounced the regime for throwing Vladimir Putin a lifeline and undermining the sanctions. He described China's action as simply unacceptable. What's more, the Chinese regime also sided with Russia to reject a debate over Ukraine and the UN Human Rights Council. It later abstained from voting on a resolution condemning Russia for the invasion. But the most damning evidence seems to rip off the Chinese Communist Party's mask of innocence once and for all. Ironically, it comes from none other than the Russians themselves. According to a press release from the Russian embassy in China, Putin called Xi Jinping on February 25th, one day after the invasion began. The notice explains the two sides reaffirmed their willingness to further closely coordinate and support each other. They noted that the use of illegal sanctions to achieve the self-interested goals of individual countries must never be allowed. In light of this, the leaders of the two countries emphasized the importance of strengthening bilateral pragmatic cooperation, taking into account the results of their talks in Beijing on February 4th. The release suggests that China Xi may have already known about the invasion and promised to help Putin soften the sanctions that might come as early as February 4th. Worth noting, the Chinese version of the release leaves out that date. As Russian troops continue their advance toward the capital, volunteers in Kyiv are distributing food and aid to medics, the military and those in need. The assistance was especially welcome during the weekend curfew. Here's NTD's Neil Woodrow with this report. Hundreds of thousands of civilians have sought safety at night in Kyiv's subway system and other makeshift shelters across the country. During a weekend curfew, volunteers were some of the few allowed to move across Kyiv. A volunteer says people needed food since they had no possibility to go out. We had to bring them food so they can eat. Medics, military, volunteers, everyone had to eat. That's why everyone needs food now. They load up the van ready to go into the subway. Then they start the distribution. Oksana went to a shelter on Saturday and stayed there until Monday evening. From Saturday to Monday, the situation with food was difficult. We had little storage. Water was brought to us, but with food we had to eat what we had. This restaurant manager is also giving her support. We decided that businesses should support our army because it's extremely important for saving our country. Because if we don't help our army now, then we won't exist. There won't be our businesses. There won't be any lives left. Neil Woodrow, NTD News.
An increasing number of international sporting bodies are moving to bar Russian athletes from competing in international events. Others say they will allow Russian athletes to compete, but under a neutral flag. NTD's Eddie Aitken gives an overview of how the sports world is responding to Russia's war. The International Paralympic Committee says Russian and Belarusian athletes can compete as neutrals at the Winter Paralympics in Beijing, despite calls to ban them following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, for which Belarus has been a key staging area. The International Olympic Committee has recommended sports federations suspend teams and athletes from the two countries, Russia and Belarus. Russia's Olympic Committee said it considers this ethnic discrimination. But how are the other sports responding? Football governing bodies FIFA and UEFA suspended Russia's national teams and clubs. The move will likely exclude Russia from this year's World Cup and the Women's Euro 2020 tournament. In tennis, all players will be allowed to continue to compete, including men's world number one, Daniil Medeviev, who is Russian, and Irana Sabalenka from Belarus, but not under the name or flag of their nations. The International Tennis Federation cancelled all of its events in Russia and Belarus, suspended the country's memberships, banning them from competing. A similar ban by World Rugby and suspension of the membership of Russian Rugby Union. Motorsports governing body FIA said Russian and Belarusian drivers could compete in a neutral capacity as long as they committed to its principles of peace and political neutrality. A race scheduled for September at Sochi's Olympic Park will be dropped from the calendar for the first time since its debut in 2014. Russian and Belarusian ice hockey teams and clubs are banned from international competition. Russia's hosting rights to the 2023 World Junior Championship have been revoked, and organizers will look for a new host in the next months. Meanwhile, the International Judo Federation cancelled the Grand Slam in Kazan, Russia, which should have taken place in May. It also suspended Russian President Vladimir Putin's status as honorary president and ambassador of the federation. Similarly, World Taekwondo revoked the honorary ninth dan black belt given to Putin in 2013, and it said no Russian nor Belarusian flags and anthems would be at its events, adding there will be no events taking place in those countries. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. Warner Brothers is halting the release of The Batman in Russia just days before opening night. The Walt Disney Company, Sony Pictures and Paramount have also said that they would pause the release of films there. This report comes from NTD's Neil Woodrow. Many Hollywood studios have significant upcoming releases set to debut internationally in the coming weeks. The Batman premiered in London last week and is due to come out Friday in the UK and US. A spokesperson for the Walt Disney Company said in a statement that Pixar's Russia theatrical releases, including Turning Red, was pausing. Paramount Pictures' The Lost City and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 are among other films pulled. Pamela McClintock, senior film writer for The Hollywood Reporter, said Warner Brothers was still planning on releasing Batman on March the 3rd. But yesterday afternoon, in what became a big game of dominoes, Disney announced late in the afternoon that it was pulling its releases temporarily. And Warner Brothers quickly followed suit and said they were pausing the Batman release. Sony followed with saying they were going to uh, pull their movies, and then this very early this morning, Paramount did the same. 
Russia typically ranks in the top dozen countries globally in box office. Spider-Man No Way Home has grossed over £35 million in Russia. She says apart from ethical questions, it's going to be hard for studios to access revenue. The European Union has uh, severed ties. Russia can no longer use SWIFT, which is a banking, a banking system. So it, it almost becomes a moot point, because if you're playing your movies there, how do you get your money out? McClintock added that the images we're seeing in Ukraine are horrific and thinks that's the right decision for Hollywood studios to pull their movies. In addition to pulling their Russian releases, the Cannes Film Festival said on Tuesday that no Russian delegations would be welcomed this year, and the ban would remain unless the war of assault ends in conditions that will satisfy the Ukrainian people. The Cannes Film Festival is scheduled for May. The Venice Film Festival announced free screenings of a film about the 2014 conflict in Ukraine's eastern Donbass region. Neil Woodrow. NTD News. Officials confirm a cargo ship carrying thousands of vehicles has now sunk into the Atlantic Ocean. The ship caught fire near Portugal's Azores collection of islands. The Portuguese Navy confirmed on social media that the ship known as the Felicity Ace sunk outside the Azores. Naval officials say the ocean depths is about 10,000 feet in that area. The merchant ship was on its way to the United States from Germany. It was carrying about 4,000 cars. There were reports saying the ship was also carrying electric vehicles. A spokesperson for the vessel's operator told Bloomberg the weather was rough, but the ship's sinking was a surprise. The Portuguese Navy says the ship left behind debris and a small patch of oily waste. The site is now being monitored by Portuguese and EU environmental agencies. The ship first caught fire on February 16th. The cause of the blaze remains unclear. And car dealers have been buying each other at a record pace, largely bigger ones taking over smaller ones. Why is this happening and what does it mean for car buyers? NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. Car dealers are betting billions that the physical dealership business model is here to stay, despite the internet and direct-to-consumer model. U.S. dealers are acquiring each other at a record pace without closing physical stores. We saw over 355 dealership acquisitions, which included multiple franchises, and the public auto retailers, of which there are six, acquired over $8 billion worth of dealerships in 2021. That is by far the most they've ever acquired in a single year by a order of magnitude of two or three times prior years. Aaron Kerrigan is the founder of Kerrigan Advisors, the firm that made this discovery. Kerrigan says the top six publicly traded auto retailers have outpaced the S&P 500 significantly. AutoNation is the largest auto retailer in the country, followed by Lithia. And Lithia has been the most acquisitive of all of the public companies. We also have Asbury, which has been very acquisitive as well. Kerrigan says the prior peak number of transactions was 288 in 2020, and that many sellers were small and family-owned. It's become harder for many independent dealers to survive. And in many cases, these big groups have just offered tremendous money to buy out even the stronger independent dealers. 
Paul Eisenstein is editor-in-chief at the Detroit Bureau. Eisenstein says there will be more investments in technology as a result. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Coming up, what may be the biggest puppet ever made its debut Tuesday morning to a crowd of screaming children. We'll see what the commotion was all about. And at this year's Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, two new pieces of music technology are on display. One teaches users how to play an instrument, while the other allows them to create music out of thin air. All that and more here on NTD News. Percy the porcupine may be the largest puppet in the world. The puppet was unveiled in Los Angeles Tuesday morning as part of a collaboration with the San Diego Zoo. Percy the porcupine puppet debuted to a crowd of excited schoolchildren on March 1st. The two-story tall porcupine was introduced to mark the opening of a new attraction at the San Diego Zoo. So we thought, what a great ambassador, what a great representation, a two-story version of the prehensile-tailed porcupine to come down here and excite people for what they're going to see at Wildlife Explorers Base Camp. Percy was built over six months and modeled after a South American species. It came from the Muppets creators at Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Well, like I say, it is huge. It's, it's about 20 foot by 20 foot. Um, the thousands of hours, I mean, just, just applying all those quills, making the quills and applying them. But the team's goal wasn't just size. Obviously, you can see this porcupine is ridiculously cute. And it is, it is modeled exactly after the prehensile-tailed porcupine that we have at the San Diego Zoo, one of the animals you can meet up close and personal. The zoo is opening a new section intended to teach families about the interactions and interdependence of humans, plants, and animals. One of the animals guests will learn about is the prehensile-tailed porcupine. Animal handlers brought out one for kids to see. And um, we also have the, the reference material from the porcupine down at the zoo, down at the base camp. And so we made an attempt to try and capture, if you like, the cuteness of the real porcupine and try and translate that on such a huge scale, you know. Building such a large porcupine puppet was itself a massive task. A whole house's worth of paint went into the project. Well, all sorts of things going to making it. Yeah, it's one of the biggest animal puppets that we've made at the Creature Shop. Um, it's, uh, it's got about 2,000 quills. And as you can appreciate, on this scale, everything has to be custom made. We can't just buy things off the shelf, you know. Percy will make another media stop before reaching her permanent habitat at the San Diego Zoo. Musical technology is taking center stage at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona with two new devices. One teaches users how to play an instrument, while the other allows them to create music out of thin air. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Rafael Ramirez is an associate professor at the Music and Machine Learning Lab at University Pompeu Fabra. He was part of a project to create SkyNote, software that can teach users how to play musical instruments. Sensors feed SkyNote data so it can assess sound quality, pitch, timing, posture, and even the learner's bowing technique. For example, for sound quality, the system, the algorithm, extracts features that are useful to detect if you are playing a good sound, a bad sound, 
a bright sound, a warm sound, what kind of sound you are playing, and it gives you feedback on that. Ramirez has brought Skynote to the Four Years From Now section at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. It's an area where startups like this can network and meet potential customers and investors. And even in a 10-minute session, we were shown that the students practicing with technology improved significantly more than the students without the technology. Visitors were also able to try MicTic One Wristbands, a device that allows them to create real music out of thin air. Movement is transformed into a unique sound with the help of MicTic's wearable wristbands. So MicTic is essentially a, uh, a spatial sound mapping technology, and the purpose of our company is to reshape your relationship with music, right? So when you think about today, you consume music without thinking twice. They believe it's the first wearable device that allows people to truly immerse themselves in music, whether they are a serious musician or someone who just wants to have fun. In a sense, our target market or, or audience, um, the everyday music fan, right? Instead of just listening, we'd love to have you actually uh, be part of the music. And so starting with uh, just really music fans in a sense, of course the TikTokers, your video content creators, because you can express yourself in a creative way, that's a big part of it for us. The Mobile World Congress is happening in Barcelona and runs until March 3rd. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.